Welcome, everybody, to episode 58 of the Light Shed podcast. Um, and while many, many of you noticed, we did not record a podcast last week. Um, some have even reached out to say how much they missed it and how much they enjoy it. We appreciate that. Um, but since we've done the podcast, we've also shared pieces of our lives with all of you, mostly happy occasions, some embarrassing, probably especially for me. Um, but I wanted to share something very sad and um, quite frankly, devastating. Last week, my brother Jason passed away suddenly, um, likely of a pulmonary embolism, but we don't know exactly for sure. It was sudden. Um, and I was very close with Jason and everyone in our Light Shed family knew him and loved him. Just to give some context on his life, Jason was autistic, but higher functioning, and he had a tough life, as you can imagine, growing up. Kids are cruel. Um, but as he was eventually diagnosed with autism, he found his voice and blossomed into a unique person that impacted a lot of people. Um, he created a massive amount of art, paintings, poetry, written thoughts. The, the background on my um, Zoom this, this week is, is one of his paintings. Um, and he also led all sorts of disability support groups and did protests and conf conferences, um, all, all sorts of stuff um, where he was very active in the disability community. Um, but mostly in everyday life, he was just Jason. And <laughs> while he could be extremely annoying at times, he touched people <laughs> with his funny, awkward determination to make others happy. And he would reach out to us with inspirational messages or stop by the office and lecture us about something. Um, well, the last time he did when we were in the WeWork, he, he was distracted because there was that Pac-Man game. And, you know, he ran off and, um, and, would, and played the Pac-Man for about an hour. He was, he was very nostalgic about things from our childhood. But I guess, Walt, you were often the recipient of a lot of his inspirational texts and, and DMs. He yeah, really, we get a, really we loved get, you a lot. Hopefully, we get a we get a chance to play for our outro music some of the stuff that he <laughs> he sent. Um, but yeah, always inspirational. Always a very just a kind heart hearted person, which sometimes can be hard to find these days. Yeah, this uh, <laughs> is this the last one he sent you. Yes, this is the last one of the one of the more recent songs that he sent me. <laughs> This was, I think, um, talking about the colors of the Light Shed logo, specifically. Oh, really? Sorry. Yeah. That, that this reminded him of the Light Shed logo? Yeah, I just said it's, not, you know, we had a little debate about it. and Yeah, he was, always, he was always very opinionated. But didn't he, I think you showed me something that he sent you maybe a few weeks or a month or something ago, where... <laughs> he it, what what was it? it was like have a, have a great day with a, like an emoji of a dancing chubby baby yeah that that was fairly typical anyone who he had ever come into contact with if if he got your phone number twitter handle or whatever he would he would always send these messages 
um, over. Like, have a great day. It's a beautiful day, whatever, and always something funny attached to it. Yeah. Sometimes, though, he, he was a little relentless. A little? Wait, a little? <laughs> I mean, I think that's the understatement of the podcast. Uh, when Jason would call Brandon in the office, he didn't just call Brandon. He never stopped calling yeah. <laughs> until Brandon picked up. Like, if Brandon was on with a client, there is no chance Jason would not stop buzzing in over and over and over again until yeah. Brandon stopped what he was doing and handled it. Now, I did learn this week that that only reason he called Brandon incessantly was that he was first trying to get his mother first. If his <laughs> yeah. mother didn't pick up, <laughs> if Lois didn't pick I, up, I, his I, second choice was Brandon. Yeah, I was second fiddle. But but, but that was a nuance that I didn't know until last week. Well, the funniest thing, if, if he was passionate about something too, he wouldn't, he wouldn't stop going at you. And I remember when we first put up the Light Shed website, he wanted it to be disability accessible. And um, he kept bothering me about it. And I said, you know, Rich is in charge of the website. You should, <laughs> you should really reach out to him. And wasn't he emailing you like well, three he, times? He was very upset that the pictures that you couldn't hover over the pictures and it didn't give a description for people that couldn't, you know, I, I guess there's a certain way to make pictures sort of disability enabled. I forget the, there's an actual term that he used that was correct. And there's actually a way to do it, but I had to research how to do it because he was so upset that we weren't disability friendly on the website. And so we had to fix that. Yeah. Well, anyway, I remember you telling me after like four or five days, can you please have your brother stop emailing yes. me? And I think I waited another two days to tell you. <laughs> anyway, that's that's that on Jason. Um, but we all love him. And and to you guys, Rich and Walt and Mark and Joe, um, who have been so supportive over the last week. Thank you. Um, you've all really been there for me and my family. And uh, I love you guys. Now let's get to it. We got slide number one, which is, uh, I think Walt should sort of lead this, but because he's not even a golf fan and Walt actually got excited about golf. This was, as, again, as Brandon was saying that, you know, we missed a week. So this, I think, goes back two weekends ago. Yeah. Um, and this to me was kind of one of those seminal moments in terms of the turning point of COVID and the ability of people to um, to gather together. And like I'd flipped, I think I, I was thinking I was watching basketball or hockey. I mean, there was a lot of things that occurred last weekend in a row where fans had gone back in, but this was showing um, PGA and it was like a mob scene <laughs> at this, at this um, golf tournament. Um, sorry if I don't know the exact stuff. I'm just not like a big golfer person, but um, <laughs> um, it was like, and look, even the games this week, you know, you, you were into it though, Walt, you were into it because of the electricity of the crowd when you were watching. Yeah, absolutely. Or, I don't ever watch golf. And like, and to me, it was like the light bulb moment. Not that this is like great analysis, which is, I actually tweeted that like hashtag <laughs> analysis, but like, well, sports are obviously much better with fans. Even if you're just viewing on television, it just makes the event more exciting. I'm sitting there watching fucking golf. I don't know if you can get me to watch baseball for nine innings, but, but, <laughs> but I mean, sorry, but I, I, fans, you know, the, add to it. the Knicks um, game. You know, those Damn, first was that the same day? Couple or, of those, I think it was either the I think the it was first that Knicks night game was as well, that night or was the like day after golf, yeah. and then MSG, which was like that was that lit, I wasn't yeah. there, but that was electric. And can we just don't can, have enough can, talent to win? Well, can we just pause that 
the Knicks, the last time they made the playoffs, there was a scene like that because they won one game. What is it? Eight <laughs> or nine years ago. They had this huge party after their one win this year out on the streets. It was, it looked like that mob scene on Kiowa Island for golf. That was the scene at the Knicks game. And then that was it. Yeah. A little tension and release there. And last night I was watching the Isles who disappointed and Nassau Coliseum looked pretty fucking electric also. And look, you know, things are really getting back to normal. Let's see how they're reflected in television ratings. We know as far as live attendance is concerned, like the cheapest ticket for the aisle Saturday night is like $400 or something. I was like looking into it and I was like, Maybe not this time, but well, um, I, I've been I've been following Michael Rapino's Instagram, you know, CEO of Live Nation, yeah. and he keeps tweeting out like tour after tour a, a, after every, tour. Yeah, announcement and sellouts. We talked about it, you know, a couple of times, and you know, to us, this was a very predictable outcome. Um, we Let still me just love add to that. that in terms of my. So over the weekend, I was we went to um, Sedona. And similarly, like when you talk to any of the vendors there, they said this is the like even pre-COVID times, this is the biggest crowds that they've seen in Sedona. All the restaurants are packed. It's complicated by the fact that it's obviously hard to get service, um, you know, service back to help with the tourism. What's also fascinating is in talking to some of the vendors, they're like, look, the massive drop-off we have is international travelers, um, where you have people coming in from China, Japan, and Europe. They just aren't there, but they've been more than offset by the amount of American travelers. And Sedona's kind of an offset. We went to the Grand Canyon as well, and we saw a lot of people coming from Vegas there. I know Vegas had a huge weekend um, this past weekend. So, like, look, we've I think last weekend was kind of a seminal moment turning point. That golf tournament showed it, and it's just we're, we're kind of rocking from here. How do you get service workers when they're all sitting trading Dogecoin? I mean, that's the problem, right? Is that, you know, I mean, everyone's just sitting around or whatever. Yeah. I mean, just buy stocks, trade stocks. It's like free money now. The the question is, is everyone going to come back to the movie theaters, Rich? This is, you know, Rich's favorite topic in the entire world. Well, I saw a tweet. No, I mean, look, someone was saying that uh, was it I think it was Ross Gerber was saying like maybe they should re Disney should re-release Star Wars for theaters and get all those like kind of Star Wars nerds back in there as well. Just not the first three. Okay. Can we stay away from those first three? <laughs> you, you mean the second what... three that are the first three? Well, I think that's you what they meant. Yeah. I think that's what they meant. Well, let's, let's remind everyone that the ninth movie was beaten by Captain Marvel. And who predicted that? Which person on the screen predicted yeah, exactly. that? I think Only one print. person. We're in print. We're in print. Who are you? Okay. Okay. But, I, now, but, let, but if Star no. Wars did get re-released, though, that would generate some crowd. So... Okay, let's go on to sort of, um, this is sort of funny. Uh, This is the new logo for Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, I know, Walt, you were hoping for a much more creative name. Uh, I was assuming Warner Discovery. They went with Warner Brothers Discovery, which is sort of hearkening to the the content creation engine uh, and killing the word media in in, uh, Warner Media. But I think what really got me in this logo, and they say this is just temporary. This is not the ultimate you know, logo or tagline, but the stuff that really got me was the stuff that dreams are made of was the tagline. It, it and sounds I, like a Jason tagline. <laughs> <laughs> My observation on this uh, thing, Rich, is a, you didn't read it properly because the text specifically says Warner bros. So I guess if we're in the age of like, you know, stonks always go up and like <laughs> Saturdays are for the well, boys. That's what it, that's now what we're, it now we're Warner bros. I, I actually didn't read that. That's actually a great interpretation. Yes, Walt. Like, this is playing the- into the meme crowd. Yeah, is Warner that, Bros. 
is that um like font or whatever from superman I don't oh know. totally like, that is okay that is definitely a woodpecker yeah. or one of those yeah, kind of makes sense because as we keep saying like fixing um dc comics is probably the the biggest upside thing whether that could happen there it certainly seems very thing. sort of it certainly seems very like superhero-esque like you would yeah, expect and nostalgic yeah, look, I, th- there's no doubt that, you know, Zaslav did a meeting on the Warner lot with Jason Kylar. They did a joint um, on the lot this week to like an all hands meeting. And the big takeaway was essentially, you know, Jason's people, still there. He's <laughs> uh, I, there might be a countdown clock for end of 2021 uh, that may be starting. Uh, look, I think the big question is is less about whether Jason stays at this point. I think the real question is is what happens to the whole team that he sort of has assembled, and does the team stick around, or is is Discovery sort of bringing in a new team, and what is the integration going to look like? And I think there's just so many open questions over the next year. And my guess is that's why the stock has continued to sort of be weak. Is that sort of nobody sort of knows, and you've got this long twelve month process before you even begin the actual integration that. It's just a long time for these people at Warner Brothers who have been through, effectively, they'll be through four bosses in five years. That's a lot. All their competitors continue to grow and create moat. Well, and are spending more and more. I mean, you know, Ari Emanuel from Endeavor, they did their first earnings call the other night and was yeah. just, you know, going on and on about just the amount of spending that they're seeing from all of these streaming companies putting more money into content. And so it's just it's a hard time to sort of be in this kind of in-between window uh, for the company. But I want to stick to this theme of, of what Warner Brothers is doing or what you know, Warner Media, I guess we should call it for the moment, since it's still AT&T's Warner Media division. Jerry Smith has a tweet. This was from about a week and a half ago. HBO Max in Latin America will cost only three dollars. And unlike the U.S. version, it will have live sports soccer. That's interesting to me. But uh, what's really interesting to me is Unlike the U.S., Latin American subscribers will have to wait 35 days for Warner Brothers movies. Now, Jerry's saying that that's a negative because it's 35 days versus the zero window that, you know, Matrix is going to come out. I've heard it's amazing. Matrix is going to come out. In the Heights is going to come out. Those movies are going to be available the same day. Uh, but next year, Warner's going to a 45-day window before movies. So they're, uh, ten, so they're 10 ahead? Well, yes, <laughs> but the one... They are, Brandon. First of all, that's the first time we've heard movies going 35 days or even 45 days overseas. So this is the first shortening of windows overseas before it's just been domestic. The other thing that's really important is it's not 35 days going to home video. It's 35 days going to HBO Max at no incremental cost. And so that feels like a pretty big deal for the overseas market really the first company that we've seen do this overseas. I mean, there's another tweet on the screen from Lucas Shaw saying Universal is going to release Boss Baby on Peacock the same day it hits theaters, sort of that same HBO domestic model we've seen this year. No incremental cost, not doing the Disney PVOD thing. Um, But it's just interesting that more and more we're seeing the studios realizing if the priority is getting getting their streaming services to work, They've got to get movies faster and faster onto the streaming services. I think that's sort of the key takeaway, which goes into your question from before, Brandon, of what does this mean for movie theater attendance? Not so much in the short term, but what does it mean over the next couple of years? And I think it makes it very hard to to, to forecast. And the other thing on there, um, again, from Jerry, was that it, there was going to be live sports, soccer, um, football, as they call it, um, in Latin America. 
I would expect that sometime soon you're going to see live sports in the U.S. on HBO Max. I, I'd be very surprised if not. It's, well, th- th- it sounds like the NHL deal includes it, right? I mean, that was sort of that's the right. Uh, that's right. Good point. But again, it hasn't launched, but it certainly sounds like it. And um, it, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, obviously Zaslov and Discovery have a lot of overseas content in Eurosport. If yep. you were to collapse sort of Discovery Plus into HBO Max, obviously that would give you a lot of overseas sports, especially in Europe for HBO Max. Yeah, I'm curious to see what their strategy with sports is in general. Um, you know, like, are they going to double down, push harder into sports? They really are. I guess Peacock has, you know, some sports in it too, but they really Paramount are Plus, Paramount Plus. Um, from the other kind of general entertainment SVOD networks in that, you know, they will have some real sports rights in there. Yeah, I mean, Paramount Plus has been buying, obviously has the NFL, but obviously it's not exclusive right, to yeah, Paramount I'm Plus. Wrong, actually. No, right. no, 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 because no, no, but, you, but you're talking about exclusives. Like, I think if we're talking exclusives, Peacock's got EPL. That's obviously a big deal to Walt is other than down, Downton Abbey. Did I say it right? Oh, Downton thank you Abbey? for finally including Downton Abbey yeah, in my he, Peacock he usually Plus. says downtown, so. Downtown, no, no. but now that Downtown no, no. Abbey is done for me, I got to find something new on Peacock. Although I think I did it, find another series. The only reason I said Downton right is that Joe has trolled me for so long of saying it wrong it that took I felt, like 10 years yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah whenever whenever downton was on i don't even yeah. remember i got jason kylar's name i got downton like i am hitting uh-huh. names today i am on fire let's go um speaking of trolling yes uh that was really well done walter so this is from amc's filing uh, i want to just read this because this is you know sort of amazing um i'm going to read just i think i'm going to stick to the second part our market capitalization, as implied by various trading policies, currently prices, prices currently reflects valuations that diverge significantly from those seen prior to the recent volatility and are significantly higher than our market capitalization immediately prior to COVID pandemic. And to the extent that these valuations reflect trading dynamics unrelated to our financial performance or prospects, purchases of our Class A common stock should could incur substantial losses if there are declines in market prices driven by a return to earlier valuation. This is the best risk factor of Hold all on, time. I think you, and I think you missed one part of that risk factor. Wasn't there what? one part where it just basically said you can lose all or part of your money? Uh, you could right. incur substantial, substantial losses. Substantial losses. Right, no, right, no, right. I thought there was another part that literally said uh, all or part of your money. No, uh, I I... There, may, there may be another part of the, I okay. mean, there was a whole bunch of great paragraphs in there for sure. I mean, look, it's a I great mean, hopefully that's story. enough for these companies. All these companies should just put those disclaimers on there and just pump yeah, and, and go for can. it. I so mean, GT- well, it, go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's interesting because a lawyer reached out to me over the last couple of days and said one of the reasons that you're not seeing more of these high meme stocks sell stock is that there is a fear that you're selling stock at inflated valuations, and so you, you do wonder, like, you know, you they're putting serious? these risk back. Yeah, well, just like you're well, basically telling risk? people. Well, what's the risk? What's people the risk? I mean, own, I, the, the risk may be for Adam Aaron. People, the, if people want to buy these stocks. They're buying them in the open market anyway. Right. Why can't this company sell them in the open market? We've talked about I, this I in past know. podcasts. Like, it's one thing if the stock spikes up and you try and dump shares, right? But like, take GameStop, for example. It was at 400. And everyone's like, oh, it's, you know, now it's gotten crushed. It's still at fucking 260. So if, if it's sustained yep. at 260, they should be printing fucking cash all day long and changing the business model. Same yeah. thing with GTT is literally filed or 
I don't want to say if they, they filed, but they're considering a bankruptcy. It's all over the media, like Bloomberg. <laughs> the stock rallied. Remember Hertz? This happened with Hertz. Yeah. So like, like print that fucking money. Like, I don't like why the only person that I think that theoretically has liability is maybe a guy like Adam Aaron that goes on to like a YouTube channel without his pants on and like, and like basically, <laughs> yeah. and then sell stock the next day. Dude, that reminds I was watching that last night, and all I could think of was that American Idol guy who came on. He's like pants on the ground, pants on the ground, looking like a fool with your pants on. Oh, the it's funny. My kids always comment like cartoon characters don't have pants. Um, hey. Yeah. Look, all all I, all I know is that this whole situation is fascinating because, well, to to your to your statement. AMC would love to issue 200 million shares tomorrow. They would love to. The problem is they literally, on their charter from 10 years ago, they only have 40,000, 46,000 shares. So they should they should crank those out and then authorize some more. The, the problem is you now have, the, right, but the challenge is you have three and a half million shareholders now, retail shareholders who don't want more shares being issued. Are you sure about that? Um, well, that's why, why would they care about more shares being issued? Valuations don't matter, right? Yeah. So, what do they care? Uh, yeah, exactly. I don't. <laughs> they're I don't, not. Know. There's they're no not logic. Taking so. A fundamental approach to this, right? Right. So, like, if it, you, you if have if to throw all that logic out the window. It'll and it's not like just, us saying that. It's it's then uh, it's it's people that that are obviously trolling us saying that. Like, you we don't understand. You're right. We don't understand. If fundamentals don't matter, then share counts shouldn't matter. So they should Correct. approve an authorization of a billion more shares, and AMC should do. fucking issue I, I shares. Would just, I would just keep, keep fucking, fucking printing selling. shares every fucking day. But and just if they clear, don't, by the way, if they don't, what rights do the debt holders have to sue them? Because like you, they have an opportunity to monetize and, and bring cash on the balance sheet to pay off the debt. So maybe the debt holders should threaten to sue AMC <laughs> or any of these yeah. companies. If they're not printing shares, I don't know if you could do that, but well, I'm just saying I mean, it seems you have, like a no-brainer. Your fiduciary duty and yeah, reinvent the company. Sure. The crazy thing is, is Adam Aaron was on TV last, or sorry, was on YouTube last night, Walt, um, and basically without said pants. the one yes, with without the pants. pants, yeah, without the pants, without without <laughs> pants, Adam Aaron, pants um, on the ground. Adam stated stated we pulled the request for 500 million shares because we knew you retail shareholders would reject it. We're now trying to do an authorization of 25 million instead. How does he, okay. Huh? I'm just saying, that's what he said. I, I, I All I have is his, his statement. I, I don't have anything more than that. Okay, let's move on. We've got Verizon. I don't, I don't think the apes care about that. No, they don't. Right, so I don't, like he doesn't know his own apes, I guess. Yeah, exactly. The self-proclaimed apes. I'm just glad Joe is not part of that ape gang. I am going to read Rich Demoro's tweet now. It says, "If you have a Verizon, if you have a Verizon Unlimited plan, you can get six to twelve months of Apple Arcade free. Easy to redeem. Look for the banner. Yada yada yada. It doesn't matter. But bottom line of this tweet is, <clears throat> Verizon looking to add more things to their highest tier rate plan. Why? As our podcast listeners know, this is how they're going to grow revenue by migrating existing customers up to higher rate plans. And we've talked about this before, and you know, I think in some of the light shed lives and, and premium accesses that we've done, we've questioned people about like, what are the gaming things that you're going to add? So Apple yeah, Arcade. Why, why fucking Apple Arcade though? It makes it like, does anyone actually care about Apple Arcade or play any of those games? It seems like they should probably, I don't know, cut a deal with Epic and give a battle pass away for free 
or cut a deal with Roblox and give Robux away, things that people actually care in a way to reach, you know, younger consumers that it's are also interesting your that customers for the next however many years. And iOS users um, can basically get Apple Arcade for free by doing that bundled rate plan, right? If you're right. Get, if you're getting cloud and you're using Apple Music, like you can get it for free. So maybe there's just no other like if Brandon, if you were running a telco, what gaming, what sub- subscription gaming service would you add? Like, what should T-Mobile no, and AT&T I, do? I mean, actually, Verizon does do something with um, with Sony. I think I think you could get PlayStation uh-huh. Plus. Maybe um, it included, but yeah, I would look at the games that reach the most MAU and try and you know cut deals there. Um, Just and go to specific passion. games as opposed to platforms that have multiple games. I mean, they even what? like, and you could segment it, right? You you want to reach you know an older segment, do something with Candy Crush, right? If if you want to reach uh, a younger demo, but tons and tons of people, Battle Pass with Epic. I just don't know if those other gaming brands necessarily want to work with the telco, want to work with Verizon, and how they how they feel about it because it takes. I mean, uh, it, it, why wouldn't why wouldn't Verizon or sorry why would Roblox not want Verizon subsidizing Roblox Premium so that a whole household can get. Yeah, Roblox the parents premium, could, like, the parents, yeah, the parents could give well, it. Vice versa, it. why wouldn't those telcos want to add that to their higher bundles so that helps generate revenue? Let's not forget, though, that um, part of generating revenue is not just ARPU, but it's also subscribers. So you're still in an industry that's at maturity. And and I think in our recent Light Shed Live uh, with Z- David Zaslov, who's now going to be running the behemoth of Warner Bros and yes. Discovery. That uh, is going to be your, you're going to stick to that. I know that is going to oh, be I'm the say Warner Bros until they change that to a real brand. I'm going to be calling yeah. Warner Bros. So when the bros, bros after, let's just call it the W for Bros, brothers. the bros. W- bros, the bros for podcast listeners. When I talk about the bros, I'm talking about Warner Brothers Discovery anyway. So, but what he said was like long term, maybe even intermediate term, don't expect these things to be exclusive, meaning like you don't have to go to T-Mobile to get your free Netflix. Maybe Netflix will be available in the highest tier of the telco for every one of the wireless operators. So then the question is, how do you really differentiate? And, and historically, it's been those that have invested in the network and you have a good experience. This is what's benefited Verizon historically. The change that has happened is uh, AT&T um, has dis- is discarding and monetizing the bros. So as a result, their leverage is now low and they can invest in the network. So Verizon, you know, who is kind of, their narrative always changes. You know, first it's like, we're not going to buy Spectrum. Then they do Spectrum Co. Then like millimeter waves, great. It's going to go 2000 feet. Then we test it and it goes 200 feet. And then oh, millimeter waves are 5G answer. And then they spend $53 billion on the C-band auction. So the latest thing is like, to get these higher frequencies to work, like uplink, everyone kind of admits. So if Verizon wants to, this narrative like changes, every executive that speaks at a conference says something different about their need for uplink at Verizon. The problem now is if they make that choice and don't supplement their spectrum, it could threaten their performance at a time when AT&T now has a balance sheet to go and buy some additional uplink, to go get the legato spectrum. And T-Mobile could do the same thing. And Dish, so, by the way, could do the same thing. So there's another auction coming up, Rich. In addition to the C-band, there's a 345 auction where Dish could grab that spectrum as well. So like 
that's fine if that's their narrative, which has changed and been wrong in for the recent management team. Like you can't give the current Verizon management team the benefit of the 30-year run that they've had in terms of the best network. So if they decide not to do that, they just risk not being competitive over the intermediate term. But what I was going to say is AT&T picking HBO, T-Mobile picking Netflix, Verizon picking the Disney triple play. Those are all best-in-class choices in streaming video. There's no doubt. Like We would all say those are awesome things to give to consumers to get you to upgrade to higher rate plans. I think the question is, is like, Apple Music, Apple Arcade, like all these other things. Like, I don't think they're really moving the needle. Like, I, I just think that like, why not Spotify? Why not Fortnite Battle Pass? Why not Roblox Premium? Like do the things like to Brandon's point, what are the best the in class? Did what T-Mobile did with Netflix. Yes, pick the best in class. What does first, everybody so want? Gonna... The problem I get again it. is like, okay, so let's say you do Fortnite and I know everyone loves Fortnite, but like the reality is like, it'll move the needle for let's say 10 or 15% of these market that might move up that haven't already moved up. So maybe you get yep. some one quarter's worth of acceleration. Okay. And then what, like by the time you hit 2022 and you've kind of stacked all right, these, you're just chasing, you're just chasing your tail at the end of it. And by the way, you're adding increment. Let's not forget incremental costs. Yeah. <laughs> incremental costs. Like this is bullshit yeah. revenue, right? It's like if you're, if you're giving someone an HBO max for free and then you charge them $5 more, that's just a flow through flow through. Yeah. Flow through cost. To the service provider. So great. You made the investors happy because your so revenue looks like. Bottom line is it's a growth challenge business, period, end of story. Right. And but, there's a really, back, but there's a really cute way to goose revenues. Right. So, but it gets, exactly. But it gets back to the point where like that's a limited life. And then what? And then it, it all comes, It ultimately, it's a scale business. It comes back to share and what moves share, it's network. And we're at a, a turning point in the industry. Right. And the best so Verizon all has the right attention now is, should be there. Right. And that's where whatever they've got 60 megahertz and we'll that initially in an unwillingness to to be flexible in how they look at building the network. So we'll see how that goes. So this was uh, the week uh, before, um, but we have we have um, Jeff Bezos and Amazon buying MGM for eight point four five billion dollars. MGM has been, you know, I think it was actually on our uh, 21 for 21 being sold. Yeah. Uh, we had, and as we, we had said before on this podcast, it was on our like 2018, 2019, <laughs> 2020, 2020. So it, it, it finally hit. I don't yep. think we ever actually predicted in all the predictions that we made about it getting sold. We never actually picked Amazon, but I think this makes a lot of sense um, for Amazon. They haven't been able to have that real you know kind of four quadrant breakout hit um so if you can't build it go ahead and buy it it also gives them i mean if you think about sort of what you know walt has been a huge marvel fan and uh you know i think the ability for disney to mine the marvel library yeah. Yeah. guardians of the galaxy was and black panther were not the reasons you would have no you know, totally been excited the, about marvel the question is i mean it, they don't have or do they correct me if I'm wrong? I don't believe they have complete say over what extensions are are made of of the Bond franchise. I is, actually is think that Brandon, a complication, have, Rich. I, no? I think they have none, like no right. control. Okay. Well, over that's Bond. that's I a that's that's, the... that's a major complication to this entire thing because if they if they can't go out there and you know create that Marvel universe because they're not allowed to, well, you know that. 
that's a limiting factor. Sure. Uh, look, I do not believe if, if there was an agreement from the Broccoli family to make the entire world of Bond, TV series, cartoons, the whole world, um, theme park village, whatever it may be. My guess is Netflix and Apple and many other companies would have been bidding aggressively to acquire this asset. So I, I don't think that actually is true. I just think it's, look, Amazon wants heft. They are really trying to push on volume. They haven't had that breakout hit as you want. This brings them a lot of content, a lot of things to play with. Now, remember, Amazon's also, it's merchandise, it's audio, it's podcasting, it's music, it's books. Sure. Like There's so many other ways for Amazon to sort of leverage this library. Of course. I, you know, look, it's a, it, in one sense, it's a crazy price. If they find one or two properties that really can work that we're not thinking at all, and I'm not talking Pink Panther, but if you can find something hidden in a massive library, that could justify this whole transaction. Maybe it's crazy. And we'll see in a couple of years. No, it gives them it gives them content to work with. So let's what surprises it. me more, but what surprises me more, just want to end this on because it was our prediction. We're not ending on this. I have something else. No, no, no. Go ahead. Okay. But the Universal, we thought our prediction was Universal would buy this because Universal has been sort of franchise deficient relative to things like Warner Media and Disney, et cetera. And so we thought it made sense for NBC to buy this. But so now NBC has not gotten Warner Media, and now they haven't gotten uh, MGM. And I think that just is what surprises me. We're in this huge war for content and two assets that I would have thought Comcast, NBC should have wanted and wanted to try to do something with. They've at least passed on for now. But they got DreamWorks Animation back then. They did. How many years ago? <laughs> and, um, you know, Boss Baby. Just, just well. one thing you didn't mention is Amazon has a rising new CEO. And you've had a big deal with Dish, which people have tried to downplay, but you had the, like that is a, a new thing and, and I think more material than I think people I think fully appreciate and this deal. So that picture that you had in the tweet where it had Bezos's face there, perhaps because they have some other TV rights. Um, the bigger issue is the CEO might have a different view on where media should be in terms of Amazon's portfolio and maybe where connectivity should be in terms of their asset portfolio and AWS side of things. So um, Amazon could be a very different company over the next five years. I mean, obviously they've got a fucking cash machine <laughs> and free capital to invest, but like there could be different priorities with the new CEO, which I think is he's, he's getting tremendous amount of lead. And not on the content side, sports is clearly a priority. Oh, sure. that, that's that we didn't talk about that, right? But you spent eleven billion dollars on NFL rights now. Correct. Eight and a half billion dollars on MGM, and we know that they're basically becoming the third largest. With, do you think this is coincidental with his with him him rising up? As I don't think it is. It's yeah. not coincidental. Well, and on top of that, advertising is becoming a much bigger play, and everyone's starting to talk more and more about Amazon as being sort of the third player behind Google. And, and they're um, ready. They already are the third player. Yes, but but if you think about sort of the, one of the things we keep hearing more and more is that I know it's IMDb TV is sort of a joke today, but I think there's a lot of ambition. Yeah, and if you think about right, and there's that, all that stuff in that library that they could they, use bulk wise yeah. and build out um, for that. What about isn't there a whole bunch of um, unscripted in there, game shows and stuff, or am I misremembering, Rich? Wait, say that again. In Paramount, in, in, uh, in, in MGM, yes, they've got some rights to some t interesting television shows. Well, they, they've got they? like, well, they have like Handmaid's Tale, 
mm-hmm. is in okay. there. Fargo's in there. No, uh, but beyond that, I thought they have a lot of reality like television. The Burnett, yeah, yeah, they have all of Burnett. Yeah. I mean, look, okay. I, I don't, I, I wouldn't expect Mark Burnett to be there. Just to right. be clear, Understood. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. Again, I know nothing. I'm just putting Jeff Bezos just in, let's be clear it's, in it's the Amazon room. that has these rights it's not Jeff Bezos that specifically has rights to some of these television shows and the outtakes that exist he, he might have an archive of you know episodes yes. but we'll right, see move on to the next slide okay hold on uh next slide we've got um this is uh, this is sort of a headline I think this came from deadline but it was NBC won't debut any new comedies in the fall for the first time in 50 years and I just pulled that quote. I mean, this was coming out of the upfronts um, a couple of weeks ago, but I thought what was so interesting about that is, you know, this sort of, we keep talking about sort of the shift to streaming and the fact that NBC, which is known for, you know, think of every great, almost every great comedy that the three of us have watched Thursday growing up night. as kids. Yeah. I mean, like this was like, that was must see TV, like comedies and friends and Seinfeld. And we did, can go all the way back through did, the years. Did any of you and- actually watch the um, Friends reunion, by the way? No, I was hiking. Um, my daughters, my daughter, uh, the all the all the girls watched. Okay, I didn't watch it. I, I was just curious. But it wasn't a show. It was just them talking about the show. Yeah, and that's pretty fucking yeah. boring, right? I mean, I thought they were like <laughs> doing an actual show, like where they pretended to be their characters. That yeah, was- that's how it used to be with those like reunion things, right? I don't. Yeah, that's not a reunion show. That's just like okay, yeah. they just got around and talked about something, and that was yeah. This was like getting hanging out twenty years later or whatever. Cool. Um, Sounds a lot. Not that interesting. (laughs) Though I I was never into that show anyway. Whatever. I did on the plane watch um, the um, Housewives of New York City, though. That was fascinating. Garbage TV to watch. Did you did you watch a reunion show? It was not a reunion show, but um, I know they do the reunion shows. Shows. Uh, let's move on to uh, Twitter. Actually, one of the best reunion shows while we're at home, Rich. I just, okay, okay, Puck okay. was one of my favorites um, in terms Wait, of. Puck? Wait, what was Puck? Puck? Remember I... from um, MTV Real World? Puck was the, the guy that rode the. Yeah, the, yes, the yes, I do. And then they, the Real World would do, and that was one of the best Real Worlds ever. I was a religious watcher of that one. And then Puck came back for a reunion show and got in like a fight with someone. He was fucking. So, so do you think that Paramount Plus to simulate demand should do a reunion of the reunion of Puck on Paramount Plus only. I mean, Puck is a ratings getter. I don't. I don't hopefully, he's still alive um, and that he's doing well. But reunion I think of a reunion. In, that's in like a, a spack of a spack. Yeah, or a spark, a spank, a spank. Um, so, anyways, so, see, so, he, Bob, so Bob Backish, if you're listening, Puck, yes. Paramount Plus, and Puck. Well, that is the pitch. in today's environment, I'm not sure that Puck's brand of uh, things that he says or does is probably would resonate or be okay but who knows seems like something better for um, discovery we've got um elliot turner uh tweeting this might out. be my favorite slide this week actually okay so you read it go you ahead read that? elliot turner there's go a ahead. lot to read here but no no i only <laughs> want text. brandon all i want you to do is read you the opening read it. go ahead okay go ahead. interesting call this morning on tegas hq from a digital agency citing Twitter's, quote, performance actually starting to work. They're talking about performance advertising and the share of performance rising from five to 10% of their spend on the platform last year to 42% today. And if I dig down lower, 
um, and I'm just going to pull out this one quote. In Q1 of this year, 39% of our spend on Twitter was performance ads. And by April, it was 42%. So that's a pretty big swing. And I don't get overly excited in Twitter. It's now an automated company. And basically, what they're talking about is the fact that performance advertising, we're probably all starting to see more DR app installs and you know click to do something ads inside of your Twitter stream. Basically, it's a type of advertising that Twitter couldn't get right for years and years and years. And we've cr- criticized them for is even, you know, much younger platforms blew past them in that. And, you know, it took some time for them to work it out, but it looks like it's finally starting to make traction, which, <laughs> you know, as far as numbers are concerned, could uh, could be a massive lift. If this it's is a very, it's a very small work. part of. Look, it, it, Twitter has said they want to get to fifty fifty brand and dr versus yep. like whatever fifteen to eighty five today. And there's been skepticism. Skepticism. There's been like investor like <laughs> vomiting that it's not happening fast enough. And remember, it's important because the dirty little secret of Facebook is that it's ninety five percent. It's ninety five percent performance in dr. Like when brands, I mean, you saw last summer, brands pulled away from you know they boycotted Facebook and. Facebook had great numbers. Like there is no, the brand dollars on Facebook are tiny. It it makes a big, it makes a lot of noise and people talk about it, but what really drives Facebook is DR performance advertising. And it's the best there is in the entire world for performance in DR ads. And this is interest. This is in the wake of IDFA. Well, I guess it sort of shows that IDFA is sort of a lot more noise, especially if you're on the, if you're building, like it may be a bigger issue for Facebook that's at that pinnacle, but if you're rising up, that the ability to sort of improve your targeting is still far overwhelming the yeah, risk factor I mean, from IDFA. I mean, if you're a company like Twitter who is nowhere on it, right, then there is only up to go. <laughs> it matters a lot less. Yeah, which is, I think, why, you know, even for Snap, you know, Snap, Pinterest, you know, Twitter, it's just a much smaller issue than it is for a Facebook, just given size and scale of their ad base. Uh, anyway, let's shift, I, I, let's shift to been, WWE, Brandon. Okay. Um, this is from the Sports Business Journal. WWE has named Hawks CEO Steve Coonan, former ESPN exec, exec Connor Shell, and WWE president and chief revenue officer Nick Khan to its board of directors, continuing a push by Vince McMahon to evolve WWE into more of a media and content company. And we've just we've discussed this, you know, ad nauseum. WWE has given up basically on everything else. They are a a content creator, period, end of story. They are going to live and die by their ability to license out their, you know, tell it what's now television show content brought in SmackDown. And they brought in television execs onto their board who are going to help them. Uh, content exec, content place. execs, right? Yeah, like sorry, t- content exec. Like yeah. Coonan ran content for TBS before he went to the Hawks. Like he was the television. programming guy. <laughs> It was. No, no, I understand. But it's a programming yeah. content executive. Connor Shell did. Th- I mean, when you see 30 for 30, that's Connor Shell. Like, yep. you know, it's just the you keep talking, Brandon. They're the a content risk, company. That no, 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 but no, no, no. But I want to go back. The risk factor in WWE, in your mind, is they need to get the content to work before their next major rounds of negotiations come up. So there's yeah. I mean, look, though, these these um, executives, 
board members can help them come up with ideas for extensions, stuff like that. At the end of the day, though, the creative, okay, in for Raw and SmackDown and the storylines, that's that's up to Vince because Vince has complete control over that now. So either he's got to give up some of the control um, or he, he needs to get that right because no matter who you bring in and all the ideas that you could have surrounding the the main content, um, you got to get storylines right. And I think Raw had its lowest ever rating um, this past week. Again, they're going to get Thank back. Thank you, Mark. To, yeah, Mark's just reminded me of that. Um, we'll see what happens. I think July 16th or 18th, they're, they get back to live touring and we'll see what the impact is there. But they just got to get the core content right. They could dress up everything else. So th- this, I feel like, is the Walter Pysik slide because there is nobody on this podcast that had better insight into the time spent and fun. I guess that's the best well, word. At least fun. I think we're going to say it was my slide because, and for our podcast listeners, Rich is showing a chart with no numbers. And as you may recall, that's I trolled Verizon once for at their investor day, putting up a chart with no numbers. But the chart Rich is showing is Instagram and Snapchat time spent in the US like flatline kind of low and then Facebook is obviously up here and then they show TikTok kind of the only line here just kind of rising from 2018 to 2021 to meet Facebook in terms of um time spent um I don't think the line I don't see here is is um Google perhaps because it, it could be what like you know 5 inches above Facebook in terms yes. of the chart, <laughs> I mean, YouTube is the monster, and the the growth of YouTube is so staggering right now. It, it is the biggest media story that's not being followed. But look, TikTok deserves a lot of credit. They have exploded. They are certainly, you know, maybe they're not hurt to the point. The slide, they're not hurting Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat but they are certainly taking some of the growth away. It reminds me of like when Brandon, when you were writing about how like Instagram stories sort of cut the growth profile out of snaps time spent. TikTok clearly has taken time spent away from everybody else. There's just limited hours in the day. And I mean, I think when, you know, Reed Hastings always likes to talk about, right. It's a war for time and attention. There's no doubt that TikTok has taken a meaningful share of mobile time spent over the course of the past three years. I mean, it looks on that chart to be first. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I look, there are a long way from except YouTube. Y- uh, yeah. YouTube, right. Yeah. YouTube is a monster and it is just, um, it's pretty crazy how, how fast it's growing, especially on the TV. I mean, the, the TV numbers are the ones that are just so staggering and we're seeing it in the ad numbers. I mean, that's why YouTube is growing faster now than it's been for the last five or six years. It's just, uh, it's really stunning. Um, let's move on to um, another piece of Google that sort of plays into this whole theme, which is the importance of the connected TV. So I've got up on the screen here. This is this is two leaks that were reported throughout the Internet over the last few days that this is Walmart. So Walmart's house brand is called ONN. And this, these are essentially Android TV streaming devices that use the new Google TV. So the Google TV that you love, Brandon, on your Chromecast, that I love on my Chromecast, this is a Walmart um, branded device that well, uses- I, Does it actually use the Google television operating system or, or did they just use Android because it's open source and they were I, able to leverage it? 
Uh, I believe I it's an Android TV that's using the Google. It's an Android TV build that's using the Google TV interface. I believe. Oh wow, that's okay. what it's been reported. Yeah, that's, again, that's that's a big deal, man. And especially here, um, I believe Walmart was the biggest retailer for. I mean, not a surprise, right? But, but the biggest retailer for Roku. So yeah, this this is a pretty big deal. Yeah, look, we're, we're meeting with TCL next week, so it'll be interesting to talk to them about sort of what they think of this and how this sort of changes. I mean, look, dongles and boxes are not what consumers want. Most of what's being like, when you look at the growth of Roku, when you look at the growth of Vizio, all they're talking about is how- The, I, I, the, the built-in operating system to the television. Um, it's It still matters for a lot of people though. I, I mean- I use dongles, even though I have um, connected televisions that are have native operating systems. I find it to be faster. And it, the longer you have a television, the processing speed can get behind and people need to replace it. It's not like it doesn't matter. And I don't know, you know, for the Walmart house brands, what they currently use. But um, <laughs> if they have their own operating system here or they're using Google's, you know, that's that's probably coming to whatever their uh, house brand is, their house brand. Yeah. Is. And look, and it's important just going back to the prior slide when we were talking about YouTube, the bigger Google TV gets, the more visible YouTube gets, the more Google Assistant voice search gets, which ties into YouTube. It all plays together. And there's certainly it just feels like. There is all these pieces that Google, like I don't think Stadia has gone anywhere, but like if I think about sort of the video side of what Google's doing and how search plays into it and how YouTube plays into it, this feels like an important topic to watch and something, again, what matters, Chromecast hasn't been marketed. That's why it hasn't had a big impact. Will Walmart, is this what Walmart's going to be pushing aggressively for the holidays? That's what I think the most important thing to watch yeah. for is how does the marketing channel for this evolve? This was a leak. It's not coming out, I think, until September. So there's nothing to do right now. Just something to keep your eye on. But kudos. kudos. Go ahead, Brandon. Sorry. That's okay. I was just going to say kudos to Roku, who is evolving into a real ad tech company. Um, yeah, just like... They remind me, I know they came out of Netflix, but just they're, the way they're so forward thinking reminds me, um, Anthony reminds me of Reed. And, you know, yeah, people are going to catch up on the hardware. It's commoditized and maybe even the operating system. But that's why they keep pushing harder and harder into the ad tech side of the business and becoming more indispensable in that regard. So, well. I just thought, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure that they have to market it. It's just a matter of someone walks into many, many people walk into a Walmart. They're going to look on this shelf and there's going to be this shrink wrap thing that's cheaper than the one next to it that does the same thing other than a couple of the Roku channels that they meant that consumer might not know about. It's just cheaper. Look, it, it is you know, at $25. You're getting pretty close to free. I mean, it's pretty amazing how these streaming sticks just keep going down and down and down. Um, especially when Apple, I think, is still like what at one hundred and fifty or two hundred dollar price point. It's just staggering. I don't get that whole thing. I, I know it's just amazing. Um, Valorant, Brandon. Sure. So Valorant Mobile announced by Riot Games. Um, I think a couple of interesting pieces here. First of all, this isn't crossplay. Like the the trend now has been to crossplay, and I know that. Um, Activision is working on cross-play version of Call of Duty, and we keep hearing 
about um, PC console coming together with mobile. This is a distinct experience, um, which look, I think because of it, it's more of a hardcore shooter and there it's very competitive. It's much tougher to have crossplay versions of it. Uh, Apex Legends having their own um, standalone uh, mobile version. PUBG is standalone um, mobile. But so that's interesting. And then just Riot's kind of relentless push um, to expand past League of Legends and into like that seems like more, a pretty more, big deal, more, right? Yeah, more game formats, which you know we've known since the tenth anniversary, and a much deeper push into mobile and becoming um, just in in even bigger force that the other publishers are going to have to continue to look out for. And then the second one here is Take Two Sports Empire has extended to Europe with the acquisition of top 11 developer Nordius. And um, I believe that's a mobile gaming company. Yeah, I believe they're out of Belarus. It's it's a soccer game. But uh, again, just the importance of mobile and all of the traditional PC and console publishers needing to um strengthen themselves uh in mobile um to reach that next couple of billion um players out there that they're not really reaching and the fact that there's a lot of cash on the balance sheets of these companies they need to make acquisitions and these acquisitions are usually you know pretty accretive obviously if they're done with cash and that's something that's important to Strauss. so that's all Eat. Everyone's trying to get into mobile gaming. That's the takeaway. Everyone wants to be bigger in mobile, bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, they need to be. Speaking of companies looking to diversify into new categories, we've got the New York Times. This is an Axios scoop. Uh, the New York Times is looking into a potential acquisition of The Athletic. Three sources familiar with the matter tell Axios. Um, you know, look, we... <laughs> We've been talking about sort of the logic of this for quite a while. Yep. The New York Times is obviously not strong in sports. Axios is very strong in sports. I mean, I guess we could debate how strong in sports they are, but look. No, they not are Axios. Subs- You're the athletic. The athletic. The athletic. The yeah. athletic sorry. <laughs> the athletic. We could certainly debate how strong they are, but they've gotten a lot of important writers to come over. They've gotten a lot of content. They've built a subscription business. But the main thing I want to talk about is just the the, the larger theme that we've been talking about for a long time, just thinking about Amazon, right? Once you have a subscription, you want to hang as many other subscriptions onto it as possible. This goes back you to cable. You have the ability to, yeah. Yeah, you have a, it, Apple. I mean, you see it with Apple, right? They're just trying to hang more and more services. Not Netflix, on. right? No, Netflix has been very dedicated to just, we do one thing. But certainly what we learned from Amazon, what we're seeing from Apple and others is once you have a subscription, how can we tie more and more subscriptions onto yeah. it? And that's a nice- but Funnel to market out of lowers overall churn and you know builds your funnel for marketing in terms of customer acquisition. So I think this makes a ton of sense. I have no idea pricing valuation whether this you know whether it'll you know ultimately happen. But I do think the logic if if I'm if I'm the New York Times, I want to find as many subscription businesses to tie on to my core news. Uh, especially if the news cycle is going to slow down a little bit, where can I leverage all the technology and infrastructure I've built and take advantage of, you know, sort of the, the, the subscription tech learnings and marketing learnings that I've taken on over the course of the last couple of years. 
Uh, hold on. I got. Uh, I just got to get to next slide. We've got CNBC. This is a story breaking from yesterday afternoon. It's back in the SPAC and SPAC. <laughs> yeah. Well, last, no, no. Like this is actually. It's actually a wrong title, right? Because it's not even a SPAC. It's a SPAC into a spark or something. Like I don't even really understand. Yeah, special acquisition rights company because it's uh, not actually excuse me. The SPAC is still going to exist, I guess, or something like that. It's because it's not actually converting or despacking. It's or right, whatever. It's, Who cares about I, the structure? I, the bottom I, line is Universal Music. Everyone's been clamoring for it to be public for so yes. long. Um, the stuck inside of a Vendi. Yeah, stuck inside of a Vendi, completely inefficient, not highlighting the value that was there. Warner Music Group came out, stock's done reasonably well, makes a lot of sense to get it out there um, and public, and it's happening. Not much else to say. <laughs> we can keep it simple. Stick with this one, Brandon. Go to Jeff Passan. Um, some sports business news. MLB is jumping into the NFT game, partnering with Michael Rubin, Sixers owner. Novogratz and Gary V on a business that will focus less on NBA top shot style highlights and will begin with the Lou Gehrig luckiest man speech story at ESPN. I mean, here's the bottom line on NFTs. There's been a lot of talk about sort of the, you know, antithesis um, that's going on in NFTs now. We knew it, things weren't going to stay elevated to the extent that they were. Um, but look, I think digital. I wish our listeners could see. No, I wish Walt's eyes could be no, I, auto. Well, I wish it was a way to frame the audio like, of Walt's say eyes. To not say elevated is doing that a disservice. If you look <laughs> at data that's been provided on the internet, which cannot be um, backed up, I believe crashing is the word in terms of yeah. number of transactions, yeah. dollar volume of transactions, like in, in the collect in the collectibles piece of that. We have to understand though that. NFTs and the underlying technology can mean a lot more than sure. just the collectibles element, and that'll evolve over time. But mm -hmm. this collectibles craze um, is definitely coming to a halt. As for now, maybe maybe it'll re right? kind of well. You I know, mean, let, let's look at the good I, comparable GameStop. Live audio. It went to four hundred, oh, and then it went down audio. to ninety, and now it's back to two sixty. That's true. Or maybe the hype of Clubhouse uh, that's now, does anyone go on Clubhouse anymore other than the, you know, people denying the Holocaust? Um, same, by the way. But maybe Clubhouse upsetting. will reinvigorate because I think, I think. Um, no, they weren't denying the Holocaust. There was a room that was lit. Like, oh, they wanted no, to re re bring yeah, it back. Yeah, yeah, no joke. And it was just up. I don't know how the content control works on Clubhouse, but that's fucking insane. Don't even need to say it. Talking about collectibles. I feel, like, I feel collectibles. like this is a good time to throw in to see if, if Maria is still on Twitter or not. <laughs> <laughs> or she's left a parlor. Because, it, because, you, parlor. because you sent us um, a tweet from her earlier today. Yes, I did. This well, is since, um, since, since we were talking about controversial social media apps. Go ahead, Rich. Well, no, I was just going to say, Brandon, I, I wanted to give you sort of credit because I think part of your Roblox initiation or even your preview before they went public was that brands and content were really going to embrace for two things. One, the, pro the, the platform was going to start aging up. 
the content was going to get higher quality and that big brands and content creators would want to utilize the platform to put their content into the sort of metaverse of the world of Roblox. And I just thought, I saw this article on Hypebeast, a virtual Gucci bag sold for more money on Roblox than the actual bag. And it was $4,000 and it was resale. It wasn't the original sale, but still just the point that a brand like Gucci is putting merchandise into Roblox to me just spoke to like, I don't, when you think of Roblox, you think of eight to 12 year olds, you don't think of Gucci bags. And so I just thought that sort of this juxtaposition of major high-end brand, fashion brand, yep. iconic fashion brand in the world of Roblox just gives you a small taste of where where this can go over the next five years. I mean, okay. Roblox has obviously been an amazing stock in the last few weeks. Yeah, and, and this also goes back to the last slide on NFTs, right? 100%. People, people do... It's digital collectibles are a thing that's here to stay and will become you know, a permanent part of our lives, especially as the building blocks for the metaverse. I would go one step further and say just assigning random value to any random things, whether it's AMC stock or, yeah. bags <laughs> or an NFT of a stupid fucking tweet is yeah, also part of the same trend. It, things are worth what people are willing to pay for them period sure. end of story and by the way it's a stock or a correct. virtual good or a fucking baseball card or your house and by the way exactly and exactly right and and the like you can't it's fun to kind of tool on the amc and gamestop and nfts but like same same argument can be made for some some you know fang stocks whether it's tesla apple whatever where you know if you're buying the narrative and you get free cash flow yields of less than one percent like someone's buying a thematic they're not necessarily looking at the relative valuation of where tesla would be relative to ford or something else right so it's just it is what it is so we've got our final slide we're going to wrap i think where we started brandon um with uh, just sort of an uh, an ode to jason We have a pick up for those who are listening of Jason in his um, his standard outfit, which is um, in either the smile. His, yeah, he always had that big smile and um, always wore that Zelda hat. As we said, he was very nostalgic about um, about our our childhood loves, and he went everywhere with that Zelda hat, which we somehow can't find. That's this me. was your road trip, right? This is the road trip you yeah, took? Yeah, this is for Jason's 40th birthday. I took him to Scotland. It was always his dream to go there because he's a or was a huge Harry Potter fan. And we kind of chased around Scotland um, looking for different Harry Potter related sites. And he was a big nature enthusiast. And we. We drove to the Isle of Skye, um, which somehow took 14 hours because we stopped. We stopped along the way like a million times, and he had to talk to every single person and like point out every rock and hill to them, and you know, tell them how lucky they were to see it. And um, all of us are lucky that. We had Jason in our lives and 
Um, That's episode 58, everyone. Going home, going home by the water's 